Welcome back to the Cinemania World Podcast. We are here on a Sunday evening with our second edition of Throne Watch, the series in which we discuss each week of the going-ons of Westeros. Now, dealing with the House of the Dragon. I am Larry, and this week I am joined by fellow Cinemini World member, Pat. Hi, Pat. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going all right. <laughs> we are now three episodes into the new season for House of the Dragon, the first season of the Game of Thrones prequel and this week, uh, usual co-hosts, Dwayne and Maddie, could not be here. But I have a fellow Game of Thrones mm-hmm. fan to join me. So it should be a good discussion. Yes. Now, were you excited about House of the Dragon coming in? Or were you a little bit skeptical? I was a little skeptical, for sure. Like I, I am one of those people where I didn't love season eight of Game of Thrones. I enjoyed a few moments of it, but overall, I think it's safe to say it was disappointing at the very least. And and I know for some people, it was absolutely infuriating as well. Um, so I was kind of, yeah, <laughs> I was I was not like super excited when I heard about House of the Dragon. I was actually look more looking forward to the possible spinoff about like the original Long Night. I was kind of hoping for some White Walker answers, um, but I mean, so far I've been loving the show. So I think it's it's bringing back those feelings for me of the early Game of Thrones season. So, all right. I mean, I generally agree. And I have to say, I mean, we are off to a pretty fantastic start. Uh, I I loved this episode. How did you feel? It was it was it was pretty phenomenal. I I really liked a lot of it was more based on the trailers. I was kind of expecting like more of like the battle to be the focus. But I think kind of focusing it more on what was happening in the Kingswood was a really smart uh, decision. And I think Viserys is becoming an incredibly interesting character uh, to try to see his struggles as king. All right. Well, yeah, I I also uh, we saw some steals. I didn't watch the trailer. I usually like click off right away after because I don't, yeah. don't want to see the trailer. Uh, I, I'm one of the people. <laughs> I do know the books. So I, I've read been through Fire and Blood. So I know a lot of the. the You've seen all the coming. trailers. Um, yeah, but I don't like to see necessarily. I did get spoiled that the dragon sea smoke was spotted and he did in fact arrive Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. episode and then i saw some stills of you know house valerian out on yeah their their beautiful armor (laughs) beautiful armor oh so nice (laughs) i just have to say i i know we have this like raging war you know fantasy fans going crazy right now about Mm -hmm. all the different production values the costuming in this damn show is so good (laughs) so good (laughs) so good like everything the dragon scales on like rhaenyra's outfits this episode oh yeah yep were stunning (laughs) everything alicent wore i thought was really like lush and beautiful for the queen and then i'm glad they carried over all the amazing production value from the later seasons of game of thrones which was like probably i think inarguably the best part of the final few episodes of game of thrones was the production value so that's that's the one thing the writers 
let yep. us all down. But exactly. everybody <laughs> else on that damn team came to play in those last yeah, Everyone looked great. <laughs> the costuming was great. The production values, the VFX. Everyone else did great work on season yep. eight. Just showrunners. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought it looked stunning. So let's just mm-hmm. kind of go through what happened here in this episode and dissect it. So as all you right. said... Most of the episode actually centered around more of the political intrigue, which yes. uh, I know a lot. Of, most of us like Game of Thrones fans. That's what really hooked us into the show. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you go back to the first few seasons of Game of Thrones, there's not very many battles. Like it's not no. as big battle heavy. Like I think that's part of the problem with the later seasons is they really start to rely on battles and, you know, all this gore and stuff. When really, yeah, spectacle. Yeah, it was the conversations, it was the the mm-hmm. moves, the political, the characters, all of that is what got us in. And that's really what we've been focusing on so far in this series. And that was the main focus of this episode. How do you mm-hmm. feel about the time jumps? That's the one thing that we're doing here that we never did in Game of Thrones. It's yeah, having some it's, pretty it's... big. This episode, it's revealed that Aegon II is two years old in this episode. So it's been two plus yeah. years since the last episode of the show. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like last week. It flew by. <laughs> and, and part of me wonders, the beginning of this episode feels like it starts right you know pretty quickly after last episode because we see daemon coming to the war mm-hmm. um and that was kind of set into to motion quickly at the end of last episode but then yeah. the next scene we're in the throne room or whatever room that was and they're celebrating aegon the second's second birthday so we didn't even get to see <laughs> hit Viserys and Alicent's wedding like we didn't nope. even see them marry we didn't even see her pregnant with her first child and she's already about to pop with her <laughs> child um how do you feel about that that big of a time jump here um I think they handled it well I mean the, the second episode had like what was it six months they kind of just were like oh yeah Damon left like six months ago like they've definitely been playing with that more than Game of Thrones did because Game of Thrones would like do it but they wouldn't do it in like an obvious way it would be it would be like oh uh King Robert it must have taken him a few months to get to the north you know after initially sending his like I want you to be my king type of thing uh well hand of the king um Whereas with this, it's, you know, they're pointing it out more. It feels like it's more crucial to what's going on. Like these time jumps feel like the progression of the characters is actually super important over what's happening over this span of time. Um, But I mean, I I also feel like it's kind of an apology to like some of the people who were complaining in Game of Thrones. Uh, Towards the end, there was, you know, a lot of like, Things where you would expect there would have to be some sort of time jump, but people were kind of like teleporting all over Westeros in some parts very quickly. Um, You know, you got the infamous Euron Greyjoy teleporting with his ship to like Casterly Rock like two seconds after he was in King's Landing. So you got stuff like that. Um, But I mean, I think they've been handling it well so far. And I've I've heard, you know, we might be expecting more time jumps this season, like more more severe ones. Um, uh, So I think they've been handling it well so far. Yeah, and I, I, I understand it because 
really season one of House of the Dragon is the setup for the Dance of the Dragons that we heard about mm-hmm. in Game of Thrones, the Targaryen Civil War that is on yep. the horizon. Uh, <laughs> I hope that's not a spoiler to anyone that that's what this series is about, House mm-hmm. of the Dragon. Uh, and we heard a lot about it in Game of Thrones. They mentioned it quite a few times. Yep, times. Stannis talked about it. Yep. As I say, Shireen, Shireen literally yep. goes all down it with uh, Stannis <laughs> before, yep. you know, he murders his Poor Shireen. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> that happens so but uh so they're really have this season is about all of the tensions rising like the tensions that really lead up to it before we get into it i think in season two and so forth i will say part of it though i think it did a small disservice so we see rainera is still very cross she is very cold toward her father and toward Mm -hmm. alicent and Part of me is like, wow, it's been over two years and it's still this cold. It almost felt like a continuation of last episode. So that was the one aspect to me that was a little bit like, uh, I would have liked to see some of that interim because. Yeah. What what have you been doing, Viserys? Have you like have you reached out to your daughter? Like, <laughs> have you checked? Have you are you okay with me marrying her? <laughs> like, what what have you done over the past two years that she still is this cold towards you? <laughs> I don't know. That was the one aspect I thought was kind that's, of that's that's okay. very fair. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> But we pick up with this big grand birthday party, basically, for little Aegon II, Targaryen. Mm-hmm. And we see Otto Hightower is already uh, singing <sighs> once more for I his grandson <laughs> to be named the new heir to the Iron Throne over Rhaenyra Targaryen. And so he's kind of putting the seeds out there. He keeps telling uh, Viserys just really small things, like he's <sighs> been doing, like he did with his yeah. own daughter to get her to be the queen he never reveals his hand he never outright says what he wants he just kind of plants the seeds for mm-hmm. the and keeps it pushing uh yeah. how do you feel about Otto hightower so far i despise Otto hightower i think he's <laughs> he's he's like peter baelish to me where it's like like he's so obviously conniving and like he's trying to play it cool like you're saying he's kind of planting little seeds but like just look at this man's expression in every scene he's in he gives away what he's thinking like you know he's just manipulating uh Viserys as much as he can you know he's, he's trying so hard to kind of push him in the directions he wants to go it's like little nudges but it's like a lot of little nudges where it's like okay you're really getting pushy now and he's to me he's like Peter Baelish kind of where it's, you know, he's conspiring. He's kind of obvious about it. I just feel like people aren't, you know, catching on to him quite yet besides Damon, who obviously sees right through him in the previous episodes. Um, But I, I can't stand him. He's just a manipulative like guy. And I really looking forward to eventually, hopefully him getting some sort of comeuppance because this whole him manipulating his way into having like a high tower of, in the bloodline is kind of, I'm just like, I'm, I'm done with you already, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I hate Otto <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal um, acting, but yeah, I hate him. <laughs> he's great. Uh, he's a great actor. I've really, all the acting I feel like has actually been pretty great so far. Yeah. Um, but I, <laughs> I just see him running around and laying all these stupid little seeds. And I'm like, Oh God. <laughs> And it kind of makes you think, like, we all, you know, 
Damon has really been coded as somewhat of a villain as well yeah. uh, with a lot of his decisions. But he's kind of, I mean, what he said to Viserys was right. I mean, he does kind yes. of need protecting against these people because mm-hmm. they just run roughshed over him. All of them do. Like, um, yep. uh, And he's just being pulled in these directions. And, well, clearly, obviously, he's not able to really... Uh, look out for his own self um because <laughs> he keeps falling into all of these little traps and making no decisions on his own um yep. <laughs> so at that end you're kind of like well i mean damon he is still your brother and i, I think he does want what's best for you overall but i do hey. think he genuinely cares i really think he genuinely cares about his brother but i also think he resents him obviously given the events of the end of this episode he's very yeah. like i'm I don't need you. (laughs) He definitely. I mean, but we see obviously once again the ideas of marriage, uh, another thing that's been deeply rooted in Game of Thrones lore, and obviously Mm -hmm. even our own histories is noble marriages being binders. So Viserys is kind of trying to find a good match for Rhaenyra. We get our first uh, callback of Lannisters, really, uh, in the in the series. They're, they're name-dropped yeah. this time. They've been there, but they're name-dropped. <laughs> and Rhaenyra's not having it. She's like, what? Um, no. I do not like this guy, and I don't blame her. I'd have been like, no. sir, please, go back to Castle of the Rock and get out of my face. Like, <laughs> but that's the best moment for me, actually. It was, this was my favorite Viserys moment, is when the Lannister, Jason Lannister comes up to him and is like, oh, I can offer you strength. And he's like, well, do you have dragons to offer me? No, you don't. You don't even have lions. Okay, we're the only house. Us and the Starks are the houses that actually control, like, or, you know, bond with our sigil. The rest of y'all, you just slapped a lion on there. Y'all don't even Mm -hmm. deal with them. Uh, But that was, like, my favorite Viserys moment so far of the, the series. How'd you feel about the Lannisters and that whole uh, mismatch with Rhaenyra? <laughs> uh, I mean, the Lannisters, you could tell that they haven't changed much. You still got twins. You still got, you know, pompous, arrogant people flaunting, talking about Casterly Rock every other sentence. I'm like, in season seven of Game of Thrones, I saw Casterly Rock. It wasn't that impressive. It was okay looking. You know, it was under siege, which might have, you know dictated my opinion a little bit but i mean they're they're exactly what you'd expect the lannisters to be they're blonde they're trying to force their way into power with like oh look at us we got all this this wonderful wine and we've got casterly rock and it's they're they're what you'd expect which is great you know this is this is exactly what you'd expect even what is 100 and now 70 something 60 something years before game (laughs) of thrones uh you know they're they're still the lannisters even back then and i'm glad that you know, he got to really dig into him a bit because it just made me happy knowing how powerful the Lannisters become as far as the crown goes later on in the history. So it was nice to see Viserys stand up for both himself and for Rhaenyra, um, you know, against the Lannisters. Well, we see Rhaenyra has um, a little bit of a connection forming on her own with mm-hmm. one Sir Kristen Cole. Um, <laughs> Sir she's Cole. Obviously, she's obviously had her eye on him ever since that very first episode. She's mm-hmm. the reason he is a member of the King's Guard. And now uh, they seem to have a little bit of a connection, at least. They're out there. Uh, she lets out her frustration on a boar. 
uh, in a pretty yeah. aggressive way. <laughs> I was like, oh, girl, um, chill, please. Um, you don't seem to mind the screeching of a boar now like you did earlier in the episode. Um, how'd you feel about that little connection brewing between Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra? I mean, I could definitely sense it. I was thinking, like, there's got to be some affair down the road. There's got to be somewhere, you know, obviously, like a Lancelot Guinevere type situation where he's like this knight that's dedicated to her. But um, yeah, I mean, they've obviously been setting it up. I do think they have some chemistry. I think he might be a way for her to not have to deal with all the baggage of potential other relations she could have because we're talking he's not like ever going to be a like an actual suitor you know yeah no. so that's that's a little liberating and for i would imagine for her um but i was just nervous the whole time they were in the kingswood because i'm just like th- this whole the, the hunt and the king i'm like i have seen this before robert baratheon has seen this before <laughs> it didn't end well for him and then when the legitimate boar came out i turned to my wife and i said that's robert baratheon's killer right there but then they killed him and i'm like okay no it's, it must be some other descendant but like it was it was a little like like, it was nerve-wracking just being in that situation again because we saw how a boar could completely upend the world of Game of Thrones. So I was a little nervous. But, I mean, I think she proved herself in the in the Kingswood. You know, she, she fought against a creature. She defended herself. She killed it with her bare hands without it being tied up, you know, without being able just to Not walk up to it. Yeah, he's nowhere around. Exactly. Like she really proved herself there. And I think that if you're if the kings go to the Kingswood to go on their little hunts and to show like, look how tough I am as the king. And like she proved that she was, you know, a potential future ruler. How have you felt about Rhaenyra, I guess, overall? We've seen her kind of in various situations having to prove herself as a leader one way or another. This episode, Mm -hmm. she was a little bit more angry or angsty a 17 year old um but i think she still had those moments how have you felt about rainier to this point i've loved her overall i mean i think she's got a good head on her shoulders i think being the cup bearer for the small council gives her a bit of an in on how this you know whole system works i do completely understand her frustration obviously with this universe where you know no matter what she does people are constantly you know making it clear that she shouldn't be the heir. And there's moments where she feels like her father thinks that. And this whole thing with Alicent and Viserys is just kind of making her obviously scared that, you know, she's going to be replaced. Her best friend now is they're in an awkward situation. <laughs> like with now I'm your stepmom. It's like, okay. Um, so but overall, I've loved her as a character. I think I'm, I'm very curious to see where she goes from here. I think she's developing into a very strong character, but I'm nervous about Game of Thrones. If they make you like someone and it seems like they have a good head on their shoulder, like eventually the head might leave their shoulders and then it's, then it's, you know, <laughs> sad. And we see her already getting in, not, not by her own choice, uh, being put in the middle of a mess already. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but we see other people all kind of coming forward, not only the Lannisters, but others trying to put their name in the hat. And Otto Hightower uh, <laughs> suggests mar- or betrothing her to her two-year-old brother. 
And again, <laughs> uh, Targaryens are not against marrying brother to sister, as we know, no. uh, to keep the bloodline pure. But Viserys obviously doesn't care about that because he just mar- married a uh, uh, Hightower who has nothing to mm-hmm. do with their bloodline. But um, I don't really think it's about the bloodline as much as it is about that's Otto Hightower's grandson. Uh, and that would ensure him to be the king. So <laughs> exactly. exactly. I hate this man. <laughs> Yeah, no, there was definitely an ulterior motive to that. But yeah. Paris, he didn't seem uh, really swayed by that much. So we'll see <laughs> if, if it took root more than we think. But it didn't seem to take root today. <laughs> I love that he just looked over and there's just a two-year-old kid. And he's talking to him about betrothing his daughter. And it's like, it's a two-year-old over there, like, crying. It's it's second like... <laughs> birthday. We are literally <laughs> celebrating birthday number two right now. Yep. Um, <laughs> But then we see one of the other council members, the one of the many who mm-hmm. tried to get Viserys to marry Lena, the very young-looking twelve-year-old. Um, yeah. Uh, and he says, "Look, I'm going to tell you like I told you last time. I think you should betroth her to the Valerian's son, Lenor." For the exact same reasons, you need. You've obviously you have really deepened this divide between House Valerian and House Targaryen. The bloodlines are two of the oldest, and they are close to you. Betrothed her to him, but in the end, Viserys tells her partially in um, response to some advice from Alicent that Rhaenyra. Go pick your own heir. You, I mean, not your own heir. Uh, your own husband to be. Your own betrothed. I'm not going to do it for you. Pick someone, but you need to marry someone. Uh, and I'll say that's probably the most fair offer Rhaenyra could get in this world. Because <laughs> I know you don't want to marry. You have to marry anyway. I'm sorry, but you get to at least pick. So. How'd you feel about Viserys and Rhaenyra ending this whole betrothal discussion? Uh, I just, I just want him to be a good dad. <laughs> like he seems <laughs> like he's trying to be and to have her marry someone that she can at least eventually love, you know, where he kind of talked a little bit about that, that he still loved his wife, obviously. Um, I just, I'm nervous because he seems kind of easily manipulated overall. Um, and I feel like he, he might say this now, um, but they've had miscommunication before, like where she kind of was like, oh, you know, it's OK if you marry again. And then he immediately married her best friend. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm a little nervous because of his yeah, track record. Well, that's the thing is like y'all couldn't have at least told her one it's both of y'all just sit down and talk to her. Like you really had to blindside her like that. Knowing damn well, that's her best friend. (laughs) Like that's the thing with Viserys. I feel like he just, he doesn't talk. Like he doesn't, I feel like there would be much less strife between he and Rhaenyra if he just like discussed with her told yeah. like leveled with her he never leveled exactly. with her and then she's like what the hell like okay you just sent a lannister out to talk to me like that like what the hell no yep. no wonder she's pissed all the time uh, <laughs> but when it comes down to it we see they are hunting this prophesized white stag basically Ooh. and viserys talks to alicent about the prophecy he had in the flames that it, or not in the flames, but it's clear as the flames about the mm-hmm. son 
who would wear the crown, but he never saw it again. And Viserys also talked about prophecy in the very first episode. So very clearly, he even mentions it here. What is, you know, love or what is what you want against prophecy and what's meant to be? And so they're all like, oh, you know, the white stag is it's a great sign of the birthday, basically. Everyone around him is kind of trying to plant the seed of this white stag is a great sign that Aemon II should be the heir. But turns mm-hmm. out they don't get the white stag. They just get another large stag. And you kind of see it on Viserys's face. And I don't know, I kind of read that as him accepting that that was not the prophecy meant. Because uh, you see he's a little bit disturbed. Like, he kind of looks... I don't know. It was a, almost a disappointment, really. Um, For sure. And then, the sh- and then the white stag actually approaches Rhaenyra and Kristen mm-hmm. Cole uh, on their venture. So she's the one who is approached by that white stag. Uh, any thoughts on that whole prophecy here? I mean, I, I took it as, you know, he's not going to get what he wants, maybe ex- exactly what he wants, but she, I mean, it's showing up to her. I feel like is a, is a sign that of her eventual hopeful future rule. Um, but he definitely looked a pretty put out when he, he saw it. And just even the way he was killing it, there wasn't any glory. There wasn't any, you know, it was just kind of, he used the Lannister spear. Like he was asked to, but like, it wasn't a big proud moment. It was just, I guess I'll, this is what I have. So I guess I'll kill this. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of like, um, which King was it? Uh, that tried to, was it, I don't think Joffrey ever beheaded one of the people who tried to behead. Oh, uh, Theon, like when Theon yes. tried to behead Sir Roderick, he couldn't yes. do it. Like he had to like <laughs> hack at his head. And that's kind of what this was. Um, yeah. He couldn't kill the stag. And I, oh God, as an animal person, that was just like horrific. I was like, oh my God, rough. somebody killed the poor animal. It's like, yeah. you're torturing it. Oh my God. It was rough. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what it said. And to this point, you mentioned it just before we move to that final kind of plot line here. We see what Game of Thrones does so well. Rhaenyra, to this point, I think has been pretty exalted. And then this episode, she she gets a little bit more grayness in her character because she's she slided. And I think we all can kind of sympathize with that. But it shows mm-hmm. a little bit of crack in a more really, to this point, perfect kind of character. Yeah. We also see Alicent, who can be seen as kind of a sneaky friend. Uh, she's <laughs> part of this high tower movement, but I don't know. There's so many good moments with Allison in this episode where we see her thought process is not the same as her father's. And I don't know that she would be making some of the decisions she's making, if not for the influence of her father. <laughs> yeah. Um, true. She seems pretty in support of Rhaenyra until her father starts really grinding that idea and notion of her own son there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Viserys. I think Viserys is, in my opinion, he's a good man. I think he's a good person. And he's just not a good king. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> true. It's true. That's my Absolutely. view on him. I, I think he wants to do good. He wants to be good. He wants to be a good father. He's just not a very good king. <laughs> and I think this episode really set up the the conflicting dynamics of most of our main characters this this go around. Um, 
And Damon, I think they've been setting that up. Like they they have the villainous moments of Damon, but they've really also shown us better sides to Damon. Um, yes. And they continue to do so even in this episode. Uh, he, he does some villainous stuff and he shows some more positive aspects to his character. And that's that's just what makes me excited. I don't know. Game of Thrones, yeah. compared to so many other fantasy series, very rarely in Game of Thrones, at least when it was based off of A Song of Ice and Fire, again, mm-hmm. seasons six, seven, and eight start to fall into the fantasy trope of good and evil. Yep. Game of Thrones, when it's at its peak, is gray all over. The characters yeah. are all pretty gray. Nobody is really pure good or pure evil. They all have their own point of view, most of which you can understand. Every now and then we get those outliers like Ned Stark, but we see what happens to them or yeah. Ramsey Bolton. Um, yeah. We get those few outliers, but most people kind of fall in there. And I think this episode really showcased that well. Uh, I don't Agreed. know if you had any thoughts on like the characterizations or Alicent specifically, because we hadn't really talked much about her, but well, I, I loved the scene when she goes out to try to um, get Rhaenyra to come to the court and the minstrels there. And it's, it's just such a power dynamic where he was confused over. Do I listen to her? Or do I listen to her? Um, but just that I just kept thinking about what an awkward position they're in as friends where now the whole dynamic has changed. I think you're right that Allison is overall, I think a Rhaenyra supporter. Um, she kind of defended her a little bit. Um, but I do think she's slowly being kind of corrupted by power and by the ambitions of her father. Like I do think eventually the two of them are going to have a real falling out. Like this is just kind of like an awkward situation, but I think overall she still cares about Rhaenyra. And I think if push came to shove, despite how angry she is, I think Rhaenyra would, you know, stand up for Alicent if she had to. Um, but it's just an uncomfortable position. And I do think it's leading to worse things down the road. Um, but Viserys is, I mean, I i think you're right. I think he's just a guy just trying to do his best in a lot of, uh, like, bad situations and with, like, the whole world on his shoulders and he keeps being bombarded. Like like he said, he went to the, to the Kingswood to go on a hunt. Essentially, like, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to celebrate the, the birth of my, uh, second birthday of my son. And, like, it's going to be great. And then the whole time he's there, everyone is just hitting him with all these political things, political things. All right. He's just like getting concerned about prophecies, which is like a big thing with him, apparently, you know, with the song of ice and fire talk a couple episodes ago, but he's just got a lot weighing on him. And I do think you're right. I think he's a good man overall. I think he's trying his best in impossible circumstances. And it typically in this world in Westeros that always ends horribly so i expect him to go out in a kind of a, a ned starkish manner or like the characters that try their best to be good and do what's right and th- they end up not being able to get that so but i do think he's a very complex and interesting character i think his actor whose name i can't remember off the top of my head oh he's so good he's phenomenal he's phenomenal so i just believe Every single thing he's feeling when he's staring at the fire, when he's sitting on the thr- uh, on his little throne and just is super uncomfortable with everything happening, he's great. Um, the two of them 
are phenomenal. And I just think the, you're right about Game of Thrones in general. Um, it's best when it's gray. It's best when it's complex. I'm, I've talked about this with you personally, and I know you, <laughs> I love the Boltons as bad guys, but they are like the farthest from like gray there is. Um, and as far as the show, um, so, uh, I do think it's best when it's gray though. I think unless you're going to have an obviously antagonistic family like that, I think the characters are best when you don't know exactly what they are, because I've heard people like I've talked about house of the dragon with talk about Damon as if he's like the new Ramsey or the new, like, but I see him more as like a Jamie Lannister mm-hmm. where, Right now, it's like he does things that I kind of question, but I could see there being valid reason to his behavior. And I think they've shown shades of him where this comes from, where this desire to kind of try to prove himself and constantly, you know, kind of bump his brother and be like, listen, man, you're like slighting me right now. And I'm your brother and I love you. And this isn't cool. Like, I, I think he's more that kind of a great character than some people have already kind of decided like, oh, he's the bad guy. Yeah, I think episode one, again, <laughs> episode one was probably his most um, outwardly bad uh, behavior. Yeah. Because, but even in that, yes, the way he went about cleaning up the streets was not okay. Uh, we don't just <laughs> murder people in the streets without fair trial. That is not exactly. okay. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he was kind of just doing what he was told to do, which was clean up the streets of King's Land. So, you know, uh, so, I mean, he's even just that, too good at his job. It's too much. Um, and then we actually don't know it was never confirmed that he legit said air for a day uh he doesn't confirm (laughs) it he just stays silent and we didn't see a clip of him saying it so i'm taking that as he might have said something or they might have been celebrating in there and auto hightower made it a little bit worse so we don't know for sure and Mm. for me auto hightower is the true villain so far through three episodes not damon um so (laughs) and then episode two really that was just a troll like come on what damon targaryen (laughs) did last episode was literally just an attention grabbing troll he didn't hurt anyone he didn't do any like he he, he stole an egg that that was it he stole an egg and when he was challenged by rhaenyra he gave it all back and was like all right fine you know what he just wanted he just wanted to kill hightower in that moment it was like you want to fight me man i'll kill you right now like because you're awful and once once somebody was like bruh what are you doing uh he he relented and this episode i actually think was one of his most interesting because he doesn't get much screen time we -hmm. see him beat an infant (laughs) person again no that man yeah. was literally just a messenger and did not deserve <laughs> to get beat within an inch of his life. But we also see him and Lenor uh, Valerion actually says it too. He puts his money where his mouth is. Uh, he risks his life. He puts himself on the front lines and serves himself up as a sacrifice, basically. Part of it is yeah. for pride because he wants yep. to end this. But also, I mean, it's it's a pretty respectable thing is that of what he does in, in that battle at the end where, you know, he, he puts himself out there to get very probably murdered or killed. um, (laughs) But right on the front lines. So I don't know. I think he continues to be one of the most interesting, really 
mixed characters. I think Jamie Lannister is a good, especially earlier seasons, like seasons two, three, four. Jamie yeah, yeah. are a good mm-hmm. comparison because Jamie season one is pretty just awful. <laughs> I don't think any of us really liked Jamie season no. one. Two, three, four is when we all kind of like okay. Yeah, once he got humbled a little bit, I started to start to get on board. <laughs> once he meets Brienne, he starts. Yeah. To be like, Hey, maybe there's something here. Yeah. But we do see this great moment actually with Allison where she completely talks sense into Viserys because he, I don't know, again, he's been manipulated to think that like helping them, helping the Valerians and Damon is a sign of weakness uh, to just let mm-hmm. them die out there and let them lose this battle against so far the only pure evil person I think that has just been here and it's the crab feeder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he is the ram he's literally feeding live humans to crabs like hello uh, yeah. <laughs> Allison just puts it in plain terms she's like look I don't care about you know the Valerians and Daemon if you think they like slighted you what is better for the realm if the crab feeder lives or dies like that's as <laughs> That's as simple as we can put it, bruh. Like, hello. And I think that's why people get frustrated with Viserys. It's like, this is a pretty, like, come on. This man yeah, is torturing Think about people. the crabs. Think about the crabs, Larry. Maybe he's doing what's best for the crabs. They're well-fed. They are having a feast. You know, maybe he wants to think about the alliances with, like, with the undersea kingdoms, you know? Yes. So finally, Viserys, like, agrees to lend help. But we see over there, you know, they're struggling. And it, I think it really beckons back to the, if you know, like the, the greater history of like the conquering of Westeros, uh, the only kingdom that never bent the knee to Aegon and his two sisters is Dorne. And the yep. only way they were able to really kind of hold out is they really took it to like these guerrilla tactics against them and their dragons. And that's kind of what the crab feeder does against Daemon, who has a dragon, is they take it into caves. And they kind yeah. of, they take it to a guerrilla tactic in which you have to neutralize the dragon. And that's the best way to do it, is to take it into places that dragon is not going to be able to be effective in the battle. Yeah. Um, so they're losing. Uh, and the same thing, the sea snake, he has a huge army out on the waters, but once you get in here, I mean, those caves really... <laughs> Uh, negate it because you're going to have to mm-hmm. you don't want to send your army into these caves I mean that's like no. a trap that's a way to, that's a sending your people into death basically mm, yep. um, but they come up we meet Lenor now we saw him in I think in episode one when he was little kind of little like his sister because they're mm-hmm. twins as well um, and he's the sea snake's son and he is our first non-Targaryen by name at least dragon rider that we've seen uh, mm-hmm. obviously his mom is a Targaryen so he does have the dragon rider's blood in him it's also kind of cool we finally I think the first certainly in game of thrones obviously because we only saw two people ride dragons um but really in fantasy have we had a, a black or really any person of color dragon rider before I don't, I don't think so i'm thinking of like even like how to train your dragon i don't think there was yeah um, so this is you know other, it's kind of cool yeah yeah, yeah. 
And I, um, I don't know the Aragon books well enough to know, but yeah. I mean, but, uh, I we know. see Lenor on our third dragon. We finally have been introduced. We've heard about what seventeen dragons that are going to be in the season one. Mm-hmm. We finally see our third dragon. His name is Sea Smoke, and he is Lenor Valerion's dragon. Coming in that final battle, (laughs) Um, we see Daemon, as I said, kind of put himself out there after he hears Viserys is sending reinforcements. He kind of makes the decision of, oh, hell no, you're not. I cannot (laughs) come in here and win this war for me and save me. No, 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 no. (laughs) Pride is too strong for that. And so they set up this tactic of draw out the crab feeder and his army with a Mm -hmm. a mate at being Daemon. (laughs) And then once that happens, send in the dragon and light him up and send in the Valerian forces. It ends up working and we defeat the crab feeder on the step <laughs> hopefully i mean i don't know maybe he has a successor i'm like Ooh, hopefully that's the last crab e- eating humans scenes we have um, i don't know the, the crabs are going to be pissed so maybe yeah, the they'll crab, attack I mean, there's <laughs> people still on that island i guess that's they'll be okay for a while and some of them the are next time jump. now. You know, some of them are nice <laughs> cooked after dragon um, to the skies. Uh, you know, and when he couldn't light him up, we saw that dragon lifting people and just tossing them in the air. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my! Oh dang! Um. Okay. Uh, we're in full of uh, air fire mode now. Mm-hmm. But how'd you feel about that little that final battle? It, it was pretty good. I mean, like I was talking about earlier, the production value from Game of Thrones just got carried over into this, where we can now show these battles. Like, a battle like this never, ever would have happened in season one of Game of Thrones, or even, like, season three. Like, it took until, like, season six to see anything even like this. Um, it was it was really cool. I mean, I thought it was interesting that in most, you know, things like this, even in, like, Game of Thrones, if someone's, like calling for aid or like get someone agrees to go send them forces it's like a big like rah rah like hell yeah moment like the riders of rohan type of thing and to see someone learn that they're gonna get aid and just be like no thank you i'm gonna go finish this before you even get here like that was a great little uh, just subversion i thought of and it was perfect for damon's character where he sees himself he doesn't want to be indebted to his brother he doesn't want to look like he lost like even in Viserys's letter he was like I don't want to see you fail and he's like who said I'm failing like I'm gonna go finish this right now so I thought it was a great it was great for Damon's character I I I mean once the uh he was kind of cornered after getting like hundreds of arrows rained down upon him um when he was corn, I was glad he got hit, by the way, because I was like, please, please. Like, I, as much as I liked the Battle of the Bastards, Jon Snow running through a hailstorm of arrows and not getting, like, everyone around him is getting peppered. Poor Rickon got, like, 20 arrows in him. Like, to, I was like, please let him get hit. And then he got hit a few times. I'm like, okay, yeah. thank you. That's all I need is just to show he's not completely invulnerable. Um, but once he got hit and... You know, the crab feeder keeps nodding at his guys. Like, go go out there. I'm like, just send, like, six guys to go, like, kill the one. You don't have to send everyone because they're obviously going to get roasted. Um, yeah. 
but it was a, it was a good battle. I liked seeing uh, Corliss, you know, in there with his axe, just like kicking ass. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they are not shying away from that brutality. We knew no. we this episode between the boar, the damn uh, the steed that got taken down, and then yeah. Corliss out on that battlefield. Hmm. I mean, I should have known right from the very first when we saw the crab feeder nailing that guy in. Uh, yeah. Talk about a nice little subversion as well. He's like so happy that Damon's there. And then Caraxes steps on him when he lands. Yes. Oh, I, I love that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was again, so horrible, but funny. <laughs> but it's also like realistic. Like, I mean, when you think about it, if a dragon's going to land, uh, yeah, it doesn't care if like that's going to happen. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's another subversion that just works for the realism of this world. Absolutely. And I think another reason we all love this world is kind of, you know, it is fantasy, but it's it's more rooted in in that kind of realism than any other fantasy series rather than mm-hmm. the hero tropes that we've all come to know through fantasy stuff. And, mm-hmm. ooh, I, I was like, damn, that poor guy. <laughs> he was so happy to see Karaxi flying out of the sky only to get crushed upon the landing. Ooh, uh, damn. <laughs> um, yeah, so any final thoughts on the episode? I loved it. Uh, the show continues to be great. It keeps making me feel like how I used to feel in the, like, the early seasons of Thrones where it just felt like every week I get plunged into this world and I'm keeping up with the families, the political intrigue, but then you get the added bonus of like showing battles like this now. And if they balance it well, where Game of Thrones kind of went a little too far into the spectacle later on and kind of lost the conversations and the fun. Because back in the day, the conversations in Game of Thrones were like action scenes. And I think they've been doing a good job kind of keeping that. But also, like in this episode, they can show that you can have these battle sequences that are impressive. But most of all, this battle sequence showed more about Damon. And I think that's going to be vital going forward. I think this win for him is huge and it's a big middle finger to Viserys. So it was a great episode. I continue to love this show. I do. I do think that's a, that'll be an interesting uh, development, depending on how far we jump into the future. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cause that kind of development of what that message sends to Viserys that he yeah. finally sends aid and that's when Damon ends the damn war. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a message sent back to big breath uh, in that moment. <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll see what happens with Rhaenyra and her heir. Uh, or not her heir. Her Why do I keep saying heir? Damn. Cause maybe cause that's what her story has been all about so far as being the heir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but her betrothal, her marriage to come, uh, that mm-hmm. seems to be taking center stage. And I did love that she called her dad out though. When he was like, yeah, yeah, you know, we have to do this for position. And she's like, well, if it was all about position, you wouldn't, you would have married Lena. You would have married the little 12 year old girl. <laughs> <laughs> because that was the better match for position's yeah. sake. And Ugh. he did not do that. Um, so don't, don't lecture me, father. See, that's, mm. uh, that's the other thing. He'd be getting schooled left and right by everybody. I'm like, oh, mm. <laughs> but all right. Well, we loved episode three. We want to hear what you thought of the episode. That was our recap, review, and discussion for House of the Dragon, episode number three. 
Pat, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you online? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at this Pat guy. I just kind of talk about movies and TV shows, pick fights with people sometimes. It's it's a lot of fun on there. Um, I also recently started a YouTube channel. Uh, just it's oh. simply Agamotto, like in from Doctor Strange, so A G A Motto. Um, and essentially, so far, it's just I've been talking about anime a bit, uh, but I'm going to be doing some video essays on some movies, some TV shows, so you can follow me there. Perfect. And you can find me at ChiliBoyYT on Twitter and ChiliBoyProductions over on Instagram and on YouTube. I am doing episode reactions to each episode of House of the Dragon. So if you want to see those, make sure to go over and subscribe. And of course, make sure you are following the podcast at Cinemania World on both Twitter and Instagram. Thank y'all for listening, and we will catch you next week for episode four. <laughs>